Uh, if you're able to turn to page 1063 in our Pew Bibles, uh, we'll be reading from John chapter 1, and this is the beginning of a new series in the morning as we think about John and his explanation of the coming of the Lord Jesus. So John chapter 1, and we're going to read from verse 1, and it's called The Word Became Flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood or overcome it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own property, but his own people did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. I wonder how many of us got to watch the uh, match a few weeks ago where Ireland beat the All Blacks in Dublin. Um, I guess many of us watched it, but I wonder how many of us were actually there in person. There's a few. I thought there'd be someone. Uh, um, Well, we we watched it, of course. Um, I am a devoted uh, Ireland rugby fan, of course, uh, as my second team. Uh, um, But one of our friends actually was there in person uh, at the stadium in Dublin. And as soon as we saw him the first time after that match, we had a lot of questions for him. And one of the big questions we had for him was, what was the atmosphere like? What was it actually like to be there? It's interesting, isn't it? With all the microphones and the TV cameras uh, zooming in on that event, there's still a lot that it couldn't capture. And so we wanted to know from somebody who had been there, what was the real impact? What was the real meaning of that event whenever Jacob Stockdale uh, did that kick and scored that try? Well, if that's true of an event that happened Uh, right in our time. How much more is that true of the life of Jesus? What was it like to stand in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene? Well, the best way to get a sense of the impact and the meaning of Jesus' life is to ask somebody who was actually there. 
Well, over the next uh, few months, we are beginning now a series in John's Gospel. This is going to carry us through, God willing, all the way through to Easter next year. Now, we don't know very much about the author of John's Gospel, but there's one thing we do know. I wonder if you'd grab your Bibles and turn to the end of John's Gospel. Um, If you've got a pew Bible, it's page 1090. Uh, John chapter 21. And if you look there at the bottom of the right-hand column, uh, John 21, verse 20, we read read there, uh, Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? And then look across the page to verse 21. This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. So the writer of this gospel, this account of Jesus' life, calls himself the beloved disciple, the disciple who was loved by Jesus. We're told that he was right next to Jesus at the Last Supper. Uh, We're told that he's following uh, Peter and Jesus during this final conversation in the gospel. Um, And we're told that he is giving his testimony. That's how he uh, wants us to read this gospel over the next few months. As a testimony, as a kind of a statement about what this person, who was specially loved and a special friend of Jesus, what he understood about the original impact and the original meaning of the life of Jesus the Nazarene. That's why we want to devote ourselves to this gospel over the next months. And it's why it will be a great idea for as many of us as possible in our church to to read through the whole New Testament next year as well, so that we can get a sense of what is the witness of the New Testament to the life of Jesus. Well, shall we pray as we begin? Our Father, we thank you that one came among us full of grace and truth. Thank you that people stood in his presence and spoke with him, sat and ate with him, and wrote and taught about him so that we could understand the great meaning of his life. Father, we do pray for your Holy Spirit to be our teacher as we read these words and consider them afresh. And we ask that you might show us the glory of the only begotten Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, can I invite you now to turn back to the first page of John's Gospel, page 1063. And this is going to be our focus now for the next few weeks in the run-up to Christmas. Uh, It gets the grand title of the prologue to John's Gospel. And that gives you a sense of how people have uh, read it and understood it as this very majestic beginning to John's account of Jesus' life. I'll say, by the way, we call him John. Uh, That's what the closest people in time Uh, thought uh, was the name of the person who wrote this, and that's what I'm going to call him. Um, And really, this this prologue of John's Gospel is all driving its way towards the last verse that we read this morning, verse 14. Have a look at it there. It says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now, we'll recognize, I think, here that in these few words, John is compressing the whole of the Christmas story So John doesn't give us uh, the shepherds or the wise men or the angels or anything like that. John just gives us one very 
short half a verse to describe all that happened at Christmas. And that gives us a, a hint of what John is doing, perhaps a little bit more than some of the other writers of the accounts of Jesus' life. The other gospel writers will tend to give us lots of details about Jesus' life, and they'll give us uh, the meaning as well. But John is really interested in going as deep as he possibly can into the meaning of those events. He's not going to leave the history behind, but he wants to really think with us about what these things mean. So he doesn't spend just as long on the historical details. And he gives us a summary of what he thinks the meaning of Jesus' life is there in the second half of verse 14. He says, we have seen, note that, we have seen, he's an eyewitness, his glory, the glory of the one and only, or the only begotten, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And of course, for us, this is ringing all sorts of bells, isn't it? Because we've just been doing Exodus. We just saw last week how the glory of God came to fill the tabernacle. Um, And now John is saying, uh, he says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That's the same word that gets used for the tabernacle. So John is saying, just as the glory of God filled a tent, well now, even more so, the glory of God is filling a human being. And we've seen his glory. It doesn't really get any bigger than this, does it? The glory of God in our flesh. The original meaning of Christmas is what John wants to tell us about, and it is about ultimate meaning. It doesn't get any bigger than this. And so that's why John doesn't actually begin his gospel account with Christmas, the way that all the other gospels pretty much do. Instead, John wants to give us a kind of a prehistory of this one that he calls the Word. Uh, He's going to tell us uh, who it is who came among us at Christmas, tell us about his life before he came into the world, And it's that life, that that pre-existing life, that is going to give us meaning to everything that happens. So our focus this morning is just on verses 1 to 5. And here, John wants to show us that the original meaning of Christmas is the original meaning of everything. So two points to unpack that this morning. Uh, First of all, the original meaning of Christmas is the original word of God. Verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So just focus on those first three words to start with. They take us right back, don't they, to the very start of the whole Bible. Genesis 1 begins exactly the same way, in the beginning. So already we can see John is not going to take us back to the start of Jesus' life. He's going to take us back to the very start of time itself. Now, I don't know if you've done any uh, reading or watched any documentaries about what it's meant to be like at the beginning of time. Physicists, with their current best theories, will tell us that uh, at the very beginning of time, time actually slowed down as kind of space and time were kind of shrunk to this minute point. Everything warps and becomes very strange. And it's very hard for us to think about that, isn't it? Um, it'd be even harder if we were actually asked to try and show why that is. The equations are incredibly complicated, and I certainly wouldn't have a hope of understanding them. It's mind-bending stuff. Everything in a singularity, the physicists say. But John takes us even beyond that point, if you can imagine it. Beyond the beginning of time. 
Just look at it. He doesn't say, verse 1, in the beginning the word began. He doesn't say, in the beginning the word came to be. He says, in the beginning was the word. Do you see? He's saying, go back as far as you can, and then go back a bit further, and there was the word already there. Go back a bit further again. There was the word. As far back as you can go, the word will already be there. In the beginning was the word. So if you're searching for ultimate reality this morning, this is it. And it's not a singularity, a random point in time, but a being, a being who is called the Word. And this is the one who has come, we're told, to pitch his tent among us, to tabernacle with us. The original meaning of Christmas is this one, the original Word. But he wasn't alone, verse 1 continues. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Now, you can tell, I think, can't you, that John is using his words very, very carefully here. He's being really precise. So let's just try and follow along with him and get this as clear as we can. John is saying that the Word is just as much God as God is. The Word was God. But he's also saying that the Word is not collapsible into God. There's a distinction. The Word was with God. Okay, so the Word is equal to God, one with God, and yet not, not, not uh, collapsible into God. There's a distinction. And um, we're recognising here that this is the foundation of the Christian teaching that God is a trinity. He's triune. Three in one. And so Christians believe that ultimate reality, before the beginning of everything, is tri-personal. Not just one person, but tri-personal. Tri now I can see some of us are kind of holding our heads and, and we're starting to think, oh goodness, this is getting a bit difficult. We do find this hard, don't we, if we're Christians? And if you're not a Christian here today, perhaps this is one of the reasons why you're not a Christian, because you think, how could anybody believe that three goes into one and one goes into three? What, what could that possibly mean? Well, it is hard to understand. It's mind-bending, in fact, isn't it? And maybe we should expect that, because if the beginning of time is mind-bending and hard for us to understand, how much more is it going to be hard for us to understand the God who created time. And I actually think this is then maybe a sign of truth about this, that the God who is revealed to us in the Bible is going to be ultimately beyond our capacity to, to, to bring him down to some neat, tidy way of thinking about him. That's what we saw in Exodus as well, isn't it? The living God will not fit into our thoughts the way that we might like him to. But John does want us, I think, to give us some help. He does want to help us to just begin to grasp something of this awesome life that he's talking about. And so, like a good preacher, he gives us an illustration. And you've probably spotted it already, I guess. Uh, John's illustration for beginning to understand the Trinity in this verse is, think about God eternally having a word. 
That's a kind of an ordinary concept from life that John is saying that will help us to think about who God is. Um, this word, uh, word in Greek means logos. It's got a range of different meanings, but let's just stick with, with the idea that it, it, it means a, a, a sort of a spoken word, a bit like uh, we've got it translated here. So word. Well, when we speak, we're always sharing something about ourselves, aren't we? Whatever we say, we're, we're sharing something about ourselves. But if we were to try and give our testimony or to maybe write our autobiography, we'd be trying to share as much of ourselves as we could do within the limits that we've got. Well, the scriptures often talk about God speaking. Uh, the word of God comes to the prophets. And when it does, uh, God is always revealing something about himself and his purposes to us. But the first place that we're told that God speaks in the Bible is Genesis 1 again. There we're told God speaks and the universe comes into existence. We'll think about that more in a little moment. But here, John is telling us that even before that, even before God spoke the world into being, God already had a word. But what's he been speaking about then? Well, John tells us the word was God. So if we can say this reverently, it's a little bit like God is eternally giving his own testimony or eternally writing his own biography. God has eternally had a word, one with him, but from him. Because God doesn't have any limits, that, that word of God is eternally God sharing himself perfectly, infinitely. And so the word is God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And this is the original meaning of Christmas. This one has come into our world. The original word of God. Well, I want to apologize if you're still scratching your heads, and this hasn't really helped make it any clearer. Um, I've had a go at doing my best. But I don't want to apologize for having a go of trying to work with us to think about this. Because I think it's easy for us to take for granted the idea that Christmas is about God coming into the world and then not really think about it, isn't it? We say that so often. But what does it actually mean? The danger then, if we, if we don't think about it, is we'll lose the wonder of it. Well, keep that in mind and have a listen to this extract from... Uh, Psychology Today magazine. Uh, this, the writer says this, Humans need to believe that there is some overriding purpose in life which is beyond everyday commerce and consumerism. They're looking for essential meaning of their lives, something uplifting, transcendent, even transformational. Over the centuries, millions of believers have found solace and transcendence in gods, guiding spirits, or in the concept of a single supreme being. Millions of others, however, have found little comfort in a postulated deity. Many have turned away from organized religion because history has been replete with the hypocrisies of prelates who sin and horrific brutalities which have been done in the names of avowedly peace-loving religions and their gods. If non-believers can't find their answers in a religion, 
They search elsewhere for meaning and strive to experience a sense of interconnectedness with others and with the greater universe. I wonder how much of that do you agree with? I wonder how much of that, some of those words are a little bit um, technical, aren't they? But I think we get the point. And I think it's actually really helpful, isn't it, to see a non-Christian psychologist pointing out what I think is obvious, that everyone is searching for meaning. We're all searching for something that's forever true, forever good, forever beautiful, something that will last above all the busyness and frantic challenges and fleeting pleasures of our modern lives. But it's interesting that he describes this search for meaning mainly in terms of a turn away from organized religion because it's become unsatisfying. And did you, did you pick out the kinds of things that he thought made religion, traditional religion, unsatisfying? He says, well, there's this postulated supreme being. That doesn't sound very attractive, does it? And Christians are hypocritical. There's all these clergy who are doing brutal things in the name of religion. Well, there's no doubt, sadly, that religion is full of hypocrites. I hope I'm not going to lose too many invitations to Sunday lunch if I say that this church is full of hypocrites. In fact, the pulpit is filled with a hypocrite now. It's true, isn't it? We have to acknowledge that and say, yes, that, that is true. It's not good, but it is a reality of this broken world. But John doesn't want to point to us as the kind of eternal truth. John wants us to see that the eternal word of God, God's own autobiography, has become a human being, full of grace and truth. Um, it might help to get somebody else's uh, words, so have a listen to how one theologian put it, in slightly theologian kind of language, but maybe it'll be helpful. Here's what he says. In him, God himself, in his own eternal being, has condescended to become man in order to give himself and reveal himself and not just something of himself. Do you see, that's the key bit. God has come, the word of God, to give himself and not just a bit of God. And that means that there is no dark or shadowy supreme being lurking somewhere who is not the same as Jesus. The one who was born at Christmas is the perfect image of the Father. What we see in Jesus is God. We're not postulating an impersonal deity who may or may not be interested in us. We're talking about life and truth itself coming among us. John's not speculating here. He's recognizing what has happened. He's recognizing that the word of God has pitched his tent among us. He's come from the Father to chase away the lies, to heal all our diseases, and to make a way for us to come home to the Father. So the original meaning of Christmas is the original word of God. And so secondly, so, he is the original meaning of everything. Have a look at verse 3. Through him, 
John says, through the word, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Well, very simply, what is John saying here? Everything that exists in our world that isn't God, we can trace back to this one, the word of God. The word of God is the one through whom everything was made. Now, we said earlier, when we, when we speak, we, we share something about ourselves. So when God is speaking creation into being, does he just come up with some new ideas that are just totally different to everything else? No. John is saying that when God speaks in creation, he's speaking through his eternal word, who's already existed. The words that spoke creation into the being are like little reflections of the eternal word who's always been with God. And the other way that you can translate that Greek word logos is also as reason. And that seems to be what John is hinting at here. He's saying the original reason was with God forever. And he is the original reason or meaning of everything that exists. The original word of God is the original meaning of everything. Now, if you were to go into my house just now and uh, unlock the door and go upstairs to my study, I'm afraid to tell you, you would find a pretty messy desk this morning. You'd find papers everywhere, you'd find half-drunk cups of coffee and that kind of thing. And you might think to yourself, there's no order here. This is entirely chaotic. Uh, Sam just clearly doesn't have a notion about keeping his desk tidy. And you might be kind of half right on that. But I, I think that if I went back and, and tried to explain, oh yes, that piece of screwed up paper is there because of this reason, I, I'd be able to tell you, or I'd be able to say that's the reason that that cup of coffee is, is half finished. And that's how the Christian sees the world. <coughs> we don't look at the world and see a total chaos, a total mess with no order and no purpose. It is messy, there, there is a bit of chaos. But the Christian knows why it's there and we can trace it all back to the original meaning of it all, to the original word of God. That's why we see a world of order and meaning. We can see how it is reflecting the eternal word. Well, why does that matter for our Monday mornings? Why should we be thinking about that on Monday morning? Well, I'll give you one, uh, one answer to that. If it's true that there is meaning in our world, and it's all traceable back to the word of God, then this means that human beings are not creating meaning so much as discovering meaning. So we might think of ourselves as sort of living in a chaotic world and we're just bringing a little bit of meaning into one corner of the world, but, but John says, no, this world was all created through the word of God. And so we're discovering that order and that meaning that's already here. Um, this year is the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 8 mission, uh, which sent back the first pictures of Earthrise uh, from the surface of the moon. Uh, Apollo 8 was able to send back pictures to Earth of what uh, the Earth looked like as it came up above the surface of the moon. Uh, a, a bit more recently, um, we spent, sent a spaceship uh, to go and land on a comet. And do you know how we managed to catch up with that comet? We used the Earth and Mars as a kind of gravitational slingshot 
to enable this spaceship to catch up with this speeding comet. It's amazing, isn't it? And do you know the reason that we can do that? The reason that we can sit here on Earth and, and figure this all out and then spend millions of pounds to send these things into space? It's because the maths adds up. It's because there is meaning and order in our world. And we're able to discover it and work with it and do amazing things. And friends, it's the same in our workplaces if we go to work. And it's the same in our ordinary lives. We're not so much creating order as working with the order that already exists in our world. Uh, when we get the bus, we do so because we, we, buses work, because there's certain things that are going to happen. And so that's why we expect the bus to turn up on time, and we're annoyed it doesn't, because we're not matching with the order that there should be. When we work with spreadsheets, we expect every time we press that, that formula button to be able to do things that have meaning, because there is meaning in the world beyond our spreadsheet. Uh, when we invest money, we invest money because we expect human beings to continue to be able to discover things. When we make music, we expect to be able to make notes that have meaning and join notes together because we're not creating notes so much as working with patterns that already exist in our world. All of us live within a meaningful universe. And so we can use our minds to discover that world. John says, verse 4, in him was life. And that life, the life, was the light of men. It is the word who enables us to understand and investigate the order of our universe. But not everyone understands where that meaning comes from. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Not everyone understands where the meaning in our world comes from. But John does. And by the Spirit of God, he points us back to the one who is the light and life and meaning of our world. Brothers and sisters, we live in an unstable world. But at Christmas, we get to remember that the eternal word of God eternally with the Father, has come into our world. We live in a world full of people searching for joy and for love, for life. And the one who was eternally with God, who is pure life, he has come into our world and made himself available to us. In a world full of people searching for meaning, because there is meaning, and we want to know it, John points us to the original word of God. That is the original meaning of Christmas. The original word of God, who is the original meaning of everything, has come into our world. And so through him and with him, be praise and authority to the Father, with the Holy Spirit, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray.
Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our Father, we thank you so much that your eternal word, your eternal truth, the one who is the meaning of everything, has come into our world and made himself known to us. We praise you that the one who is one with you, full of life for all eternity, has come and pitched his tent among us. And our Father God, so we thank and praise you that because of that, he is also the way. He really can bring us back to you because he's one with you and always was, always is, and always will be. Our Father, as we look ahead to uh, celebrating his birth this year, fill us again with a sense of the meaning, the joy, the wonder of the word becoming flesh for us and for our salvation. We pray in his name. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, as the Word made flesh who dwelt among us, thank you for Jesus who pitched his tent and lived a life of grace and truth. And in our intercessions, we bring before you people who weigh heavily on our hearts, who like him draw close to others in fragility and vulnerability and need. For our world, for the issues raised at the G20 summit concerning Ukraine, climate change and trade wars, Brexit, sanctions and Saudi Arabia. These present huge dangers, challenges and difficulties. We pray for the leaders of the nations. Please give wisdom, courage and integrity to those who are in high office. And may their hearts be inclined towards the poor. Closer to our congregation, we pray for the work of Caris and ask that the Christmas party will be a context of love and joy and light. For our involvement in the arches, that the staff and residents will be encouraged, blessed, and built up by our involvement. For Walkway Sunday and Hot Chocolate Homework Club, for parents and toddlers, that in all these ways the presence and power of Christ may be tangibly felt for both leaders and participants, not least during this Advent season. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the wider work of PCI through the Council of Social Witness and today we pray very specifically for the work of Carlisle House, providing people who have substance uh, issues, HIV or infections, the opportunity to, bring, to begin the process of rebuilding their lives and recovery through self-awareness and change within a dignified and safe environment. And for Thompson House, accommodating ex-offenders with health and social and psychological and 
home needs. We pray that the Christian support and care would enable them with assistance to prepare for independent living. And again, for the staff and volunteers in both these places and for the whole council of social witness belonging to our church. Together, may the grace and truth of the word made flesh be experienced and owned. And finally, we pray for people experiencing life events, some joyful, like birthdays or engagements or new arrivals or others anticipating and expecting the arrival of a little one. And for other people, less joyful, uh, including anniversaries of death, ongoing treatment, recuperation after operations, bereavement or trauma. And for some, not least in this part of our city, uh, those facing redundancy. And pray that even as the Lord Jesus entered into our world and is now interceding before your throne, may we as his disciples live lives of positivity, obedience and grace, mindful of the hope of the gospel, the eternal dimension that gives meaning to life and makes all the difference. And these and all our prayers we make in the name and for the sake of Christ the Word. Amen.